interesting uh, podcast today, on the Far Off Sounds podcast. This is kind of like a, a special, uh, kind of like, a, what do you, you want to use stuff that you've done in the past, you know, didn't find, like, this, so we, we Jacob and I have been trying to make an episode, uh, an actual video, like an episode of Far Off Sounds about casino music, and it was inspired by uh, our old friend Adrian Rue, who I think is, it was part of his like uh, grad school dissertation, or, or actually maybe even undergrad. Either way, he uh, he went to the Horseshoe Casino, went to a few different casinos, and just did field recordings of the slot machines. And I think what was what was unique about his recording is that uh, you know there wasn't too many. Like everything seemed to be in key, and it's extremely disorienting, hypnotic, uh, uh, just like a gorgeous, like ethereal sound. And it, it, it's you kind of listen to it, and you're like, this is this is kind of uh, captivating. And then you forget it's even on uh, after a few minutes. Really uh, fascinating stuff. It it. Just, I mean, it sounds like you're in a casino. It's a field recording. Anyway, uh, we, we became f- uh, fascinated by this concept that potentially, like, these slot machines were kind of lulling people into this hypnotic, you know, relentless cycle of spending money. And so, uh, in a number of ways, this conversation, uh, you know, we talk about gambling addiction. We talk about uh, sound influencing consumer spending habits. Uh, we also just... I guess talk about repetitive and hypnotic music. So this one is really interesting in that I went to New York, I don't know, seven, eight years ago, maybe even longer. I might have even still been been in college. This I don't even know how I had access to uh, this camera equipment. I must have taken it out from Wayne State University. So 2012, this is this might even be 10 years ago. Uh, at any rate, I went to uh, New York with with camera equipment and a Zoom recorder to interview Adrian Rue and, and spend some time with friends. I don't remember what else I did in New York on that trip. Um, and so this is this doesn't have like the cadence of um, you know a, a podcast, right? This is this was I was trying to get um, you know video clips that we could use for our our episode. So you know you'll find. A little bit of, of me telling Adrian Rue to say, oh, that was great, can you say that again, but this time can you, like, say it with this, or, like, can you include who you're talking about so, you know, the viewer will have context, which is, isn't something that we would do for a, a podcast, but is necessary for uh, a video production documentary. Um, I just thought it's, it's, it's really interesting. We do have uh, a piece about com- casino music. We kind of made, like, this... Um, I don't know, experimental, you know, three to five minute video. We, we took our field recordings that we made at, at uh, one of the casinos in Detroit. We sent them along to some friends of ours and they, you know, ran them through their, their you know, modular uh, synthesizer setup and, and used the sample source. And they did that with the video as well. And so we ha- have this like really interesting, you know, video. I think. It debuted at the, uh, the Anti-Woke Film Festival, I believe, as it's, as it's referred to, uh, last uh, uh, fall. 
Uh, Peter Thiel didn't end up giving us any money. Uh, and he, he still doesn't really know who who we are, uh, which is which is fine. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure we want to be in a close contact with that fella at all. Um, but we do want to say rest in peace to uh, Trevor Brazil, curator of uh, NBC Film Festival. But at any rate, uh, so what you're about to hear is, is, a, is a conversation with Adrian Rue, where we kind of get into some of the um, nitty-gritty of, of what the hell is... What the hell are they doing in the casino? What, what are they... I mean, how, is the sound... What's up with that sound? Is it is it lulling us? Is it is it encouraging us to spend more money? Is is the sound in any way um, encouraging a gambling addiction? These are the kind of questions we're trying to get into, and get answered, um, and then generally ask uh, Adrian about his creative practice. Uh, Adrian now runs a uh, record store in the Lower East Side called Ergot Records. Uh, highly recommend stopping in. Even if you don't buy anything, just go say hi. Um, it's it's a fantastic store, and actually opening a record store in 2022, maybe it was 2021, uh, in Lower East Side, Manhattan, seems like a monumental, potentially unachievable task, but he's doing it, so pay him a visit. Anyway, here's the unedited uh, uh, interview uh, between me Nick George and Adrian Rue. I hope you enjoy it. They were tuned to C, tuned to the key of C. You say or, it like uh, full sense. Full sense. Like yeah. This okay, is this is gonna thing. replace what we said before. Right. Yeah. Um. Just we like need the article. Right. Yeah. The article. Well, I mean, not the article. Oh but right. The, the like. Song machines. The subject or whatever. The subject. Yeah. The article. Article is like the right. Yeah, it is. We don't need that. <laughs> um, well, I thought that the slot machines were all tuned to the key of C originally, and a lot of people say that they are. Um, some serious articles say it too. But um, I ended up meeting this game designer 
in Vegas and we exchanged some emails and he told me that they weren't actually all in the QC. Um, which I think had something to do with the advent of video machines that weren't purely slot machines. I feel like definitely the recordings I've heard, the Jonathan Coldclaw recordings, seem to be purely QC. Um, and there are no like hyper real video slots in that, by which I mean themed slots that have Star Wars or Michael Jackson or Lord of the Rings, what have you, in them. Machines that have a theme music that is already established or, you know, perhaps some kind of soundtrack action that's going, going down. Whereas the slots that just have a set amount of sounds um, are, I think, predominantly in the QC. Um, what is, what's this album you're talking about? Jonathan? Cold Cloud. He has a record called Casino. I want to say it's from 98 or so. That's one side is recordings of Vegas and the other is recordings of frogs. And it's good. But I don't think he ever stepped into the Horseshoe Casino in Cleveland. Um, yeah, so these machines are mainly in the key of C and they really draw you in with that. Um, but there is some other stuff going on. Was he layering? Was he what? Was layering? He layering stuff? I don't think so. He seemed pretty academic in his approach. Or just straight. Um, layered field recordings don't really... I mean, I do use, like, sound collage in my work. But you use layering a lot of the same thing. Doesn't really interest me too much. In the same way that slowing down a pop song by 800% doesn't really interest me. I don't think that you can really achieve uh, substance through just bulk mass. Um, like those two. Cool. Um, yeah. I have, to, I have to return this camera. Alright. <laughs> uh, anything else you think we should add on this topic? No. Any, any interesting anecdotes you came across that we didn't touch on? I mean, I've read about in Vegas they have slot machines and uh, I think slot machines, at least video, like poker and stuff, in grocery stores. And it's really a problem because like you go, you can't escape them. You go to the grocery store there, but they're bad. I mean, I've read about 
people going to the grocery store, buying their groceries, hitting the machines, returning their groceries, spending it on the machines. Um, it's not good, but they sound fucking great. Cool. I don't know if fucking as far off sounds appropriate. Oh, it totally is. Yeah. yeah. We interviewed Rat Bastard four years ago. Yeah. I, would, I would bust it out some more bombs. Oh, that's all good. I guess that was like, what is uh, PBS gonna think? Oh. And, uh. Alright. I used to be really into like music creating musicians, but. It, um, it's, it's boring. It makes me cold now. Yeah. Oh. Terry, like, is a fucking, like, or some shit. I just heard um, Reed streams for the first time. It's like good. a 65 album where he's yeah. like phasing uh, organ, I think, and then playing. Was it an oboe through delay? Tape delay? The first two tracks, and then there's like a jam of in C as the final mm-hmm. track, and it's, it's good. It's 1965, I think. Yeah. But it's a. Uh, my boss has a copy of that record. They only made like 300 of them or some shit. Oh, Reed Streams? Yeah. Damn. Found it like, you know, for bucks somewhere. Of course. Alright. So. Where were we? Talking about the rhythm of the machine? Yeah, you're talking about the rhythm of the machine. Okay. Um, regarding like the, the zone. Right. We were talking about getting in the zone. Uh, do you think that, like, is that zone limited to... I mean, you say, like, for you it's a common, calming thing. For the slot machine addict, is it also calming, do you think? I think it is. I think it's an escapist calming thing. Um, I read that a lot of the people who are addicts seem to be have jobs that were really stressful, had a lot of like human interaction, and this is just kind of a way of getting away from that. Um, it's pretty much just, I mean, I called it narcotic earlier. It's really just a way of nullifying your existence for a while. Um, the addicts never win. They never come out on top, rather. You'll win a few hundred bucks if you play long enough, but a few hundred bucks to an addict really just means two more hours. Um, Do you talk to any gambling addicts? Not really. Not seriously, anyway. I didn't talk to them about slot machines, seriously. Aside from, like, being next to them and interacting a little bit, but at the same time, the people who are truly addicts aren't making conversation. It's strictly business, you know, it's like, go in, find your machine, and leave. And finding your machine is an important part about it, too. I read that I would go on forums and people would talk about, um, there's volume adjustment on some of the machines. And they would choose the ones with like the loudest volume, 
Or if a machine didn't have sound, they would just move on to the next one. Sometimes the sound would be busted. People like um, finding like a cozy enclave in the corner somewhere. I think it's like a vulnerability thing. Staying away from just feeling like you're in a cocoon of some sort. Um, since it's low risk and you do win often, if you play for five minutes, you'll win. If you play for one minute, you'll win. You might bet a dollar and win 50 cents. Um, but it means that there aren't any big wins to get you out of the zone you're in. Um, and, um, you know, when you do win big, there's all this fanfare that comes with it. The machine, like, dings and explodes. But if you press the button again, it all cuts off and you just go back in. And the people who are hooked don't, like, bask in the glory of winning 200 bucks. They're just, like, right back in it. Because they don't want to be out of it. They don't want to be within, like, time. Um, I spoke about Bataille earlier. For him, transgression and limit experience was a mystical thing. And it was very much about abolishing time. Um, and it was inexorably linked to money, wasting money, which in capitalism means time. And for these people, I think it's a similar thing. They spend time making this money and then they use it to kind of buy more time in a way. Um, really, they're wasting time, but it feels like it's being bought because that's what they're doing. They're buying time on the machine. Um, How intentional do you think the programming is for the sounds um, in terms of influencing, really encouraging the the slot machine player to stay? Right. Um, well, I the only game designer I really spoke to myself was in Vegas at this machine called the Sigma Roller Derby Machine, which I found... I was in Vegas for one night and came across it towards the end of the night. And I loved it. It was an old um, horse racing machine, probably from the 70s, and it was all mechanical, no video. I think there were you know, digital LED numbers. And, you know, the premise of the game was it was the size of, you know, a couple bathtubs next to each other. And maybe six or eight people could bet on a horse or multiple horses before each race. And there are other games where multiple people play the same game in video gambling. There are plenty of games like that. There's video poker. There's video blackjack, video roulette, video Star Wars or whatever, games like that. But in this one, everyone was talking to each other, which is something I didn't 
come across ever in casinos, really. Um, strangers were talking to one another. And this is where I met this game designer. It was like the only game he really played. And we ended up emailing. He gave me his card. And I told him about my project. And he was... He seemed a little defensive. But what he told me was that they made the games in order for the players to have the best possible experience. Was that linked to ruining those people's lives? He wouldn't really say. He was just trying to give them the best possible experience, which I think is fair to, to a certain extent. Depends on whether you think that people who can succumb to these games are worth being taken advantage of or not. Um, I think that if all this money is going to casino owners and the government, no, they probably are not worth taking advantage of. Um, if it was going to a better cause, maybe. Yeah, like, make the games really good, get people hooked on them, use the money for something good. But anyway, I digress. Um, what did your what did your <laughs> email that you wrote to that guy say? Uh, I don't remember, man. Um, I have no no recollection of my email to him. I think I asked. I don't know. I could pull it up. Yeah, let's pull it up. doing was I would give a short speech about what it was and then play it. I had bought some uh, lucky incense from Chinatown that I would play, that I would light to go with it and project uh, online slots on the wall and invite people to play them. Um, most people at the time and still would ask me, like, you know, like, they'd ask, like, how many layers of slot machines did I combine to make it, or, like, I otherwise assume that I had layered recordings, which I didn't do at all. All of them are straight. Um, and the response was 
positive. Most people liked the sounds, were fascinated by them. But I did get some addicts, or there was one guy in particular in Dayton, Ohio, who could not leave the computer where I had the video slot set up. And he had told me he had, was an experienced song machine player. So I felt kind of bad almost, like, bringing that back into someone's life. Um, but at the same time, with the project, I was kind of trying to invoke or evoke that mystical, you know, out-of-body experience of the zone without the gambling part of it. And I'm not sure whether you can actually tap into it without that element of risk involved. If you could, all these gamers would probably stay at home, queue up slot machine music, and play the video slots. But there's something about being there. Seats are really comfortable. And... Uh, the oxygen is ample. Um, but yeah, people would not believe that the casinos really sounded like that. I guess, yeah, it's, it's once you remove the sound from its source, it's, it's kind of, uh, and you put it in a new environment, it, it's hard to understand or fathom mm-hmm. what it can be like that. I've heard... There are times, I can't think of when it's been. There have been moments, though, where I've been walking around and thought I heard the slot machines. Um, can't pin it down right now. But they kind of haunt me a little bit. Um, Definitely when I hear them, it's like, just right back in that mindset. But I will say that most casinos do not sound as good as the Horseshoe Casino in Cleveland. Um, I went to casinos in you know, Indiana, Illinois, Detroit, Vegas, I've been to casinos here in Queens. Might be it, actually. But, um... The one here in Queens sounds pretty damn good. I will say. Um... I think it's second to the Horseshoe Casino. But... They all sound fascinating. The Horseshoe just had the specific sound that really entranced me with a lot of the machines emitting that specific sound in a cluster close to one another. It's the Wheel of Fortune machines that I really like. Um, it's a simple three or five slot with the Wheel of Fortune at the top. And the wheel actually isn't that interesting sonically, but those are the machines that have this repetitive... Um, One cool thing I enjoyed 
when I was listening to the Horseshoe Casino one, mm-hmm. is you've got this lush drone that you know maintains you and, and hooks you in, but then you have all these other sounds on top of it, which uh, just add such a nice texture to it. Like people talking, be like, "I just texted him," or like. Right. Uh, the sound of like classic rock far away mm-hmm. it's just barely barely seeping in over this omnipresent like amorphous wave of uh, the key of C mm-hmm. uh, was were did was the outside of the, the lush drone was was that part of your uh, intention as well as far as recording those sounds as well where you like all that like classic rock far away is also really important to this. I would try to avoid the music playing on the speakers for the most part. Um, so, I mean, what I was doing was wandering around the space, trying to keep busy, busily moving around enough so as to not raise suspicion because recording or taking video in a casino is against their rules. Um, I would play while I recorded because I didn't want to be like just this guy on camera who walked in and just wandered around doing nothing. Um, My most recent recording experience, I got caught, I got rather um, confident, overly confident, and I was just holding the recorder in my hands, playing at this machine that sounded amazing. And they got me on camera and came, and uh, I gave them the spiel about loving the sound for home when they told me never to come back again at the Queen's Casino, which sounds so good. But, no, the music was not my intention. If you go in a casino, the music is actually louder than it is on those recordings, if you're wandering around, because I definitely avoided them. The people, yeah, I wanted a little bit of a spectacle of people gambling. I don't think the people who were talking were in the zone, though. Um, but they were having a good time. And the recordings aren't purely about the zone, they're about having a good time, also. Um, but I did... I did try to compose as I recorded, in a sense. Um, rather than make a purely minimalist piece with those tones in it, I tried to give it a little bit of an arc. And in that first recording, definitely gravitated towards these non-slot video machines at the end. You can hear a lot of explosions that I think are really fitting for the recording and sounded great. But um, so I never was able to capture the magic of that first recording, even when I returned to the horseshoe. And I don't think that's a subjective thing from myself. 
it being my romantic first experience. I think that the first time I did it, I was in more of a gambler's mindset. I was just wandering around, really just recording it for myself at that point. Didn't have a project in mind. It was kind of like a wasteful thing I did, you know, like gambling. Um, and it was done without deliberation. Even if there was that arc, it's an arc I didn't really notice until afterwards. And I tried to copy it and kind of failed. Um, something about just letting the machines pull me in wherever they wanted me to go made that one really work, I think. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic field recording. Um, I listen to it every now and then. Turn it on and just tune out, tune out. Tune in, drop out. Yeah, no, it's it's it's, it's excellent. Um, how about like um, like field recording as? As like um, from a composer's perspective, mm -hmm. did you have prior experience with field recording? Uh, you know, in a in a music sense, or was this kind of your first foray into it? And do you have projects in mind for the future? Um, I've had had the recorder. I bought the recorder to record this Moroccan folk group. The Master Musicians of Jujuka in the, the summer, probably nine, ten months before I did the casino project. I'm trying to remember whether I did use it for music. I definitely had experience prior to that, prior to buying it, recording radiators and mainly radiators, fountains, ponds streams, things like that, and using those in music. Um, but that, when I was doing that, I was kind of looking for musical properties. I was into industrial music and trying to do that, throbbing gristle, using music, using machines to make music. Whereas now I'm much more interested in just letting the environment speak for itself rather than controlling it too much. Um, now I do more of collage work with field recordings and also voice and uh, some music. But, um,. I mean, one kind of inspired me. Hold on. Keep that thought right there. Yeah, it's, it's a good transition. Good yeah. place to stop. Yeah, was there much else you wanted to talk about? Yeah. I mean, what I was about to say was like, talking about polyoliveros, mm -hmm. sound box, the situationists. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can talk about all that. 
just like improvised wandering as a tactic for like taking in the world in a way you might not oh. with deliberation okay. or something. But as far as current projects go, I'm like pretty uh, pretty unproductive. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if there's much to say there. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I have some stuff that I'm working on, but they're more deliberate, kind of. Yeah. Definitely using recording. Like, I've been working on lately, it's a lot of just me, like, getting drunk and, like, whispering about my like, mom into the microphone. Damn, like, recording. Recording my son. Which is the greatest thing. What'd the email say? Alright. Let's see what that's the. Alright, rolling sound. thing froze. Mm -hmm. Oh, there it goes. It was just kind of thinking. Alright. We should be good. Alright. So, I'm going to do a uh, piece about sound design uh, and how it affects human behavior or maybe just a piece on your project. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be a lot easier and like a, a shorter term project, you know, if we do something on your project, right. like as a case study, but if we get ambitious and find that we have time and resources to make a larger episode, mm -hmm. that's going to be 
Um, we will. We will make like an episode about sound design for how it influences consumer habits and human behavior. Um, so if you could start by saying your name and just briefly introduce yourself in terms of like what uh, you do for a living, I mean what your what your perhaps title was when you were making the project, you know, like my title. I don't know. Like uh, <laughs> like uh, would you how would you like describe how yourself as an artist to someone uh, who has never uh, who doesn't know what you do. Right. Do I have to be an artist? No. Can I just be like a medium for uh No. <laughs> um I'm Adrian Rue. I'm a sound artist working with uh field recording and collage. What else do you need from me? <laughs> That's pretty good, uh, as far as an inner introduction. That was what I needed there. Um, so, could you um, summarize your work with the casinos? Like, uh, what was that project? Um, how long of a summary are you looking for? Uh, you know, anywhere between. Ten seconds and a minute and a half. Um, well, around April of... Should I be looking at you, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I looked at the camera for the who I was. Is that right? right? I don't think it's going to matter necessarily. Okay. Um, even if you go back and forth. I know that the camera's like right there, so it's almost like a person here mm -hmm. that you're talking to. Yeah. So... Well, I'm Adrian Rue. There you go. I'm a sound artist, mainly working with uh, field recordings and collage. And improvisation also, I guess. Real, real life improvisation. What is what is real life improvisation? Um, it's the art of everyday life, which uh, for my project just included uh, or meant following the sounds that I thought were fascinating in a space that had fascinating sounds. What did this? What did the idea for recording the sounds of casino slot machines? Well, it was my senior year of college, I think it was the end of spring break, and um, forget, we were kicking someone off from the airport in Cleveland, Ohio, and decided to hit the casino while we were there. I'd never been to a casino before, and... Uh, we went in, went up, rode up the escalator, and on the second floor of the Horseshoe Casino in Cleveland, um, just hit this like group of slot machines that sounded fantastic, and 
I immediately knew that I had to come back and record them. And then about a week later, I did that. Um, pretty much just wandered around the casino with my coat on. It's probably May by then. With this recorder right here in my coat pocket. I was holding it, I think. And I just walked around following the sounds I really liked. What about the sounds did you like so much? They reminded me of records I really liked. Initially was what appealed to me about them. Like um, Terry Riley, mainly minimalism. Terry Riley, Brian Eno, James Ferraro. Um, so I recorded them and that was it. I went home and listened to them and thought they sounded great. And some friends were playing a show and I played them for people in between sets and didn't think anything would ever, I'd ever do anything else with them. So what came, what came next? I know you've done writings about um, uh, slot machine music. What did you discover in, in researching it further? Um, the sequence of events is a little fuzzy. I think what happened is I was asked to go on tour with some friends, and this was the most interesting thing I thought I had done musically for that year. And uh, so I decided to tour behind that with a couple friends playing solo sets, and I wanted it to be something substantial, not just me sitting there playing back these casino recordings. So started doing research and hitting more casinos. I was living in Chicago at the time, so it was more so in the Chicagoland area. Gary, Indiana, East Chicago, and uh, Elgin, Illinois, and some other northern suburb. Um, and uh, so I'd already been reading a lot of George Bataille, who I wrote my thesis about, who's a French uh, philosopher, critical theorist, who was obsessed with uh, risk and limit experiences. So that included, you know, transgressive sex, killing, extreme inebriation, but also gambling. Pretty much anything that broke laws or put yourself at risk or put things yet accumulated through work at risk. He's all about negating wealth, negating accumulation in favor of pure expenditure. And I read Dostoevsky, The Gambler, which is about a man who I think he falls in love and the only way he can marry the girl is by, because he's in a lower class, is by winning a lot of money. I think that's it. Anyway, he's addicted to roulette. And it's a really thrilling book. And that book describes the sounds of the roulette halls in 
you know, late 19th century Russia also. Um, I forget the exact quote, but the character goes into rapture or convulsions before even entering the hall, just when he hears the sounds of the roulette tables. Um, and I read this book by Natasha Del Shull, who's an anthropologist, I think, at MIT. Um, she wrote this book called Addiction by Design, that's all about video gambling in Las Vegas. Not necessarily, not exclusively slot machine games, but um, I guess around 25 years ago, video started being introduced to casinos. Up until then, it was purely like mechanical slot machines, and that's when things started to get pretty crazy. Um, Back when mechanical machines were used, they kind of had to more or less follow the rules of uh, physics. You kind of knew what you were getting into more, even though they were still rigged. You could see the real, the actual real spinning. And then they started introducing video, and now all slot machines are video machines. But there are also a myriad variation of other slot machine-esque games that use video. So rather than having vertical reels, there can be horizontal reels. You can win by zigzagging around the screen rather than pure diagonal, vertical or horizontal win. Um, I'm not sure what casinos sounded like back then. I've heard pachinko recordings from the 70s, and there's a casino recording from the 90s that Jonathan Colclaw did. That sounds not totally dissimilar to mine, but not quite as hyperactive. Um, so when they started introducing videos to these machines, I think that's when they started really focusing on the sonic aspect in that the sound could be more divorced from the actual machine. Um, they started using computers. So I learned that they tuned all the machines to QC, and which is like a universally pleasing key. Some say it's universal. Sure, others would disagree, but. Um, I think that is partially why, I mean, it reminded me of Terry Riley, who does a famous piece in C, and, um, which is in the key of C, of course. Ultimately, the reason why I like the sound was that the tones of the specific machines I liked were pleasing. They had a soft kind of calming lull to them and uh, they were triggering in these arpeggios that are kind of a hallmark of minimalism or like early synthesizer music 
Um, and doing so aleatorically or randomly, more or less. To what extent it is random, I can't really say. I do think the machines... I won 70 bucks my first time. Never won that much after. I'm convinced that they can sense a beginner at the machine. Probably you're more hesitant. But my friend we recorded, he won 500 bucks when we went recording together his first time. Um, Some beginner's luck right there. Well, I mean, like, so these sounds, I mean, you said it was alley, what was the word? I said aleatory, which aleatory. is, you know, a term John Cage would use. Well, is that similar to indeterminate? Yeah. I mean, I think aleatory is more specifically random, whereas Cage's use of, indeterm use of indeterminacy um, is more about not being sure of the outcome. I don't know if those are entirely the same. Um, Cage used the word, the term, in multiple ways. There was indeterminacy in regards to composition and indeterminacy in regards to performance. So, in composition, that would mean him using dice or the I Ching while deciding how to compose, whereas in performance it would entail performers kind of doing the same. My understanding of Cage is not complete, so don't, don't quote me on that. <laughs> I haven't Cage's understanding of his own work is incomplete. Imagine. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> but so yeah, go ahead. You have like you have all these these arpeggiated, you know, soft tones that are right. are being triggered by someone hitting go, and hitting start, go. and stuff. And yeah. then you know it's it's very all over the place, chaotic and random, and it creates this like uh, very lush drone. What are like I mean the, the and I find it when I listen to it, I'm just like. I yeah, am so easily, I can tune it out instantly. Like, it's a narcotic effect, I would say. Um, it really calms you down. And I've read about... Maybe I'm making that up. I would use it as an excuse when I got caught recording that I was recording it because I liked the sound and it calmed me down when I was at home. Um, but that's pretty much what it is. It calms you down. You don't think too much when you're listening to it. When you're, pl it's also got a certain rhythm to it, which makes it, while it's a droney, it's also propulsive. Um, and that has to do with the people actually playing the games. Um, the, the sound, there's one sound that is my favorite in the machines. It goes like, and that pretty much times up with the slots rolling around. It's like, and then you see what you got. 
So it's easy to get into a rhythm with that, where you're just like hitting the button every three seconds or whatever it is. Um, should we pause? Yeah. <laughs> so your roommate? Yeah. Oh, this is Nick. Oh, what's up, man? Did you see Omar S at the SCO? He opened. Oh, cool. Yeah, years ago. Brian booked him. Yeah. I didn't know Brian lived here. Do you think you could, like, stay out of this room for how long do you think? Uh, 15, 20 minutes. 15 or 20 minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Or the kitchen, also. Um, yeah. Yeah, let's see. Do your thing. What were we talking about? Oh, yeah, the rhythm of the machine. Yeah. Um. So, rhythmically, yeah. the, all, all slot machines have levers still, and you can tell a beginner from an expert or from an addict, 
kind of based on whether they're using them because no experienced slot machine head is messing with that lever in the slightest. It's kind of more fun when you first start out and it makes a sound like but you cannot get into the zone with it. Um, when you're hitting the button, you're in that rhythm and you can just repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. And uh, getting in the zone is really what it's all about for slot machine addicts. Um, did you ever find, did you ever try to put yourself in the mind of an addict where you were just kind of like sucked into a zone and just hitting the button? Um, I flirted with it. I never really, uh, you know, I lost a few hundred bucks to the slots during the course of the project, but to really get in there, you have to spend the, spend the big bucks, kind of. Um, as opposed to, in contrast to table games, um, slots are pretty, like, seem conservative at first for a player. You can't lose that much money per game. And I think it's the machines that a lot of people gravitate towards when they first enter a casino because of that. Um, but ultimately, what the addicts are looking for is not to win even, but to have like what they call time on device which is the maximum amount of time spent glued to the screen playing in the zone. And uh, it's funny, I mean, the zone, in the zone, it's like a term that a lot of, you know, people into uh, music, psychedelic music, or sci-fi or video games, whatever use. And I learned that it was totally ubiquitous in slot machine culture, that um, everyone desired that zone, being in the zone, the slot machine zone. And um, so really what it's all about is that rhythmic hitting of the machine, barely interacting, but just enough to be kind of in a cyborg relationship with the machine, um, kind of melding with it, and getting just a little bit of feedback every time. Um, I liken it to social media today, which is also addicting. You log on to Facebook, see you got a few notifications, and then you have another few couple hours later, keep on checking for those notifications. Sometimes you've got them, sometimes you don't. With the slots, sometimes you win, most of the time you don't. Even when you don't win, it sounds pretty good. And when you do win, it sounds just a little bit better. And you usually don't win all that much. Um, Yeah, That's that it. that makes a lot of sense. What does? Just like getting in the zone and you're just like, or like the like the Facebook 
analogy. It's just like you're just. I think it's totally the like same thing. I check my Facebook in. like constantly. <laughs> it's bad. It's like, um, it's like actually a really interesting piece about Steve Reich's come out to show them that came out recently. I'm not sure what publication of some like I don't know the Atlantic or some kind of online thing. Hmm. It was like in cel- It was like the fiftieth anniversary of it because uh, it came out in '66. So I was reading. Which one is that? The vocal piece you did? It's yeah. Come out to show them. That come one. Out to it's show on that record of Paul Oliveros and Richard Maxfield. That I don't know. It? Um, it's like it's. It kind of like, shifts a little bit throughout the course. It's like two cassettes. Right. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. Like two tapes that. I only gently phase out each yeah, other. Yeah. That's like probably my favorite thing I've heard by him, so <laughs> or the good. only thing I like. Really? I don't know. I kind of get sick of like American minimalism. Of American? No, I love. I get sick of the big three minimalists. Terry Riley, except for Terry. Steve Reich and Philip Glass. I like Terry. He's the only one I really no, like, love. Really? What, the, about, what about Lamont Young? Lamont Young is not with the big three, oh, and I love so. I love Lamont Young. I love Paulina Oliveros. Yeah. I love Robert Ashley. I love I minimalism. Heard, I haven't heard Robert Ashley. Really? He's my favorite. Uh, is he a writer? Or? He was... He was in Ann Arbor. He was part of like the Once Festival. You know okay. about that? Ann Arbor, Michigan, huh? Yeah. No. He's from New York, though, I think. Maybe not. You know Elvin Lucier? Yeah. He was like working with him a lot. In his late 60s. It says movie recording has been automatically stopped. Like, it can't. Do you need a fresh card? I just got a fresh card. Where's just can't handle it. Maybe it's, like, not the right SD card or something. So weird. Um. Same. It's the problem when you borrow people's equipment. Yeah. No idea what the fuck's going on. It says 999 right here. I don't even know what that means. Like that. And then, like, when I go to record it, it's like, da, da, da. Like, almost like it's full or something. See, then that happens, and then it can't handle being alive anymore. You can turn it off. I should do that, shouldn't I? Yeah. Off and on. Come on. Cla- classic. <laughs> How long have you been in this, this century? <laughs> you turn it off and then turn it on <laughs> oh, dude of course off and on didn't work yeah let's try google it google it movie recording has been stopped automatically so unprofessional can you see the Balthus book in the background at all it just looks like a book, <laughs> magazine or something. You know this guy, Painter. Mm-hmm. He's cool. Yeah. Yeah. He made a lot of paintings of uh, little girls. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of virtuoso artists did. What's his name? Balthus. Balthus. He was the brother of Pierre Klosowski, who was a contemporary of Bataille's, a writer and a painter. And like Foucault and 
dildos were really into them. Yeah. Into Klosowski. This one of my favorites. Huh. <laughs> Let the light in. Mm-hmm. can't use like a 16 gigabyte SD card for some reason. Like have to use. Is this one mine? Yeah, that's yours. I got like an 8 gig that I just filled up in there, but then... Well, you can try. But this is, actually this is SDHC, which might be a different card. About 32 gig here. Well, you can give that a whirl. I, it might be full, I don't know, but... Ah, uh, what do you have on it? It would be recordings, vlogs. <laughs> do you have like a? Do you have them backed up? Mm, I don't know. An external hard drive. My external hard drive is full. Really? I'm not gonna. As I'm not gonna re record over shit like that. Um, I'm not telling you to record over. <laughs> you can record beside it. Beside, beside. Yeah. Um, if it's full, I mean. Uh, I have no clue. I have three of them in there. Probably because some of them are full, some of them aren't. Let me, uh, some of them have photos on them, some of them don't, I don't know. No, I can't do that because I'd have to format the card to take a certain type of file. Yeah. So, you know what I have to do is, I just have to transfer the shit to the computer real quick and then delete it. And then, That's fine. Yeah. How long you going to take? Like a minute. It's really fast. You don't smoke, do you? Nah, feel free though. What? Feel free to go for it if you want. No, nah, I'm just looking for a cigarette. <laughs> uh, well, they're like on every corner here for a buck or something, right? Nah, every corner. Oh. I like quit for a couple months, but I think I'm coming back.
Nah, I just went out to dinner. What did you do? Went to a place called Samurai Papa. Samurai what? Papa. It's like a ramen, ramen place in Bushwick. Cool. I didn't think it was that good. Do you, have you gotten sushi? Have you like tried like really nice sushi here? Not in New York City, no. Do you do that to like learn? No. No. I went to when I went to Japan. I dropped a hundred four fifty on a sushi dinner. Yeah. But other than that, I don't, right. I don't. I mean, I went to like super upscale, and then I went to like nice sushi mm-hmm. and dropped like thirty, yeah. and then I went to like average. Lunch sushi and drop twelve dollars, and then I got like Seven Eleven sushi. So I got the spectrum in Japan. Mm-hmm. But again, in, how's the Seven Eleven sushi? Good. Yeah, I mean, it's not as good as like the other ones, but it's you know, it's they make it at like some factory where they make it's like a sushi factory, so everything is like made to like a certain standard, mm-hmm. so it's not bad. It's not like 7-Eleven sushi here. No, I didn't know 7-Eleven is sushi. You probably don't, but like... It would be... You know what I'm saying. Yeah, no, this was like... Grocery store sushi. This was like pretty fresh fish. Um, You know, tasted like sesame seeds pretty much. Sesame seeds and soy sauce. (laughs) I I do eat out a lot when I'm traveling. Because I don't really eat out that much when I'm at home.